You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. All right, today I would like to welcome you. My name is James. I'm a lay elder here at the Vine Church, part of the preaching team, and I just want to welcome you. If you're a first-time visitor, a 500th time visitor, um, I don't know if we have a 500th visit prize or not, but I do know we have a first visit prize, and it's a, we'd like to welcome you with a, a mug. If you're, if you're new here, we would just want to get to know you. Uh, at the Vine Church, we believe in gospel, community, and mission. You're going to hear a little bit more about that as we go. Today, we're going to be, as the slide says here, in Hebrews 1, uh, chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We have wrapped up our Life of David series, and we're beginning our new series on Hebrews um, so I'd like for you to grab a Bible. We have usually have stacks in the back of blue Bibles. You can download the Bible app. Why don't you open yours up? I'd love for you to be able to see it in front of you as we go to the scriptures today. Um, you're also going to see a slide up here at this point for Q&A. We anticipate that through, as we go through the Bible here at the Vine Church, we will encounter questions. You know, there, there are big questions that need to be answered, and we want to encourage that conversation. So you can scan this code the QR, we just looked up what QR was today. What was it again? Quick response. You can, you can scan this quick response code uh, up here <laughs> to, uh, to get to the spot to ask questions. Uh, we may not have answers, and I might not even have time to answer some today or respond to them today, but we do want to encourage you, if you have questions, just pop them in there. Uh, as, a, as a preaching team, as a group of elders, we want to make sure that we encounter those questions and we, we try to respond to them faithfully. All right, so with that said, um, we are going to be going Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. I'd like to invite Katie up here to read our scripture for the day, please. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Thank you, Katie. The word of the Lord is really good. There's a lot of ways we could go with the scripture today, and I, what I would really love to do is just do a, a three-word sermon, Jesus is Lord, and step down, <laughs> make my job easy. But uh, that, that is honestly the message today, Jesus is Lord. And that's kind of an innocuous thing for Christians to say, Jesus is Lord, yeah, yeah. What does that mean? What would it mean to say and believe that Jesus really is Lord? What, do, what should Christians mean when we say that? I think that's what this, uh, these verses are trying to answer for us today. Uh, but before we, before we dive into the, the scripture itself, I'd like to tell you a story I think illustrates kind of the, the point of this. So if Jesus is Lord and who he is matters, then the message he delivers should matter. The point I want to make is that the person delivering a message to you informs the way that you respond to and interpret that message. Uh, a work story I have for you. I, I, part of my, uh, you know, my day job is I'm a trainer, so I teach classes. And as part of teaching classes, I also get to observe different trainings. And so I was observing a class with another trainer, a fellow trainer, and we were kind of commenting to each other, you know, just doing a little bit of whispering in the back about what was happening. And there was a person sitting in front of us. The person sitting in front of us was annoyed, turned around and said, hey, can you please stop? 
which was fine. So we did. We did stop. Um, and this story really doesn't seem like it's that significant, <laughs> and that's fine. But we did look up who this person was a little later on, and they reported directly to the CEO. And so this was, yeah, I know, ooh, <laughs> getting shushed at work. So that, that's why many months later I'm like, this is still, you know, look, not looking forward to the time I get to encounter that person again. Um, doesn't the, per, the, you know, status of the person delivering that message matter? That's true. So I think that's what we're going we're gonna to encounter today is if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus really is God's son, as it says here in verse 2, what does that mean? So the case is going to be made today of who Jesus is. What is his identity? And then why does that matter? So we're going to walk through the scripture, and then we're going to seek to find ways to apply this to where we're sitting at here in 2023. But before we do that, let's pray. God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, you are good. You are good beyond our comprehension. You are so very good that you, you created you created your creation. You created the world. You created us, and we are living in your creation, Lord. We ask that we would encounter who you are, the creator God, as we seek to understand you through scriptures. Lord, would we encounter you? Would we encounter who you are? Lord, I ask that the words that I, I speak this morning would be spirit-filled, that it would be for your name's glory and for your name's sake, that anything that's said and interpreted today would be done through the Holy Spirit. Lord, would we encounter truths about who you are and would that lead to further glorification of who you are in our hearts and our minds, but also, Lord, in action as we seek to step out of this room this week and, and live as lights in this world. So, Lord, I ask that you would have your will be done in us as we encounter you through Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4 today. Amen. All right, so let's, let's dive in. Uh, we got the, the backstory, I think, to the book of Hebrews last week. James Davenport did a great job. If you didn't hear that sermon, um, we would encourage you to go back and encounter that. There's the, the podcast is online. You should subscribe to it and listen to those sermons if you miss them. We know life sometimes means vacations on Sundays, and that's okay. We encourage you to kind of go back and get the full picture. As a, as a church we, and a preaching team, we try to exegetically go through the Bible, which means just taking Scripture as it is and going through it piece by piece. Now, this letter written to the Hebrews assumes that you know your Bible, that you have it down. And you, you've, you've uh, how many, how many, any of you have a movie that you've seen like six, seven, eight times? Yeah, and you could probably quote it, right? If I, if I quote something back at you, um, you're able to kind of pick up that movie quote and go, and we can have a, a common laugh about it. Um, can we say that about the scriptures? I think to the people who uh, first read this letter, that would have been the case. Someone could have quoted off the Bible and everybody would have gotten along in that manner. And so when we encounter these scriptures, I, I would encourage you if you uh, don't have a study Bible, that's fine. Maybe look up some of these verses later on or look at the footnotes and then go trace back as we go through Hebrews where in the Old Testament is this, are these verses referencing. So as we encounter the scriptures today, we're going to really focus on verses 2 through 3. And we'll also you know, take a look at the bookends there of 1 and 4. But let's, let's see what it says. Verses 1 into 2, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Right, so that's the, the setup. Right, God, used to, God spoke to us in this manner, and now, but in these last days, verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is Lord. And I get to leave the stage. Jesus, he's spoken to us by his Son. What does it mean that Jesus is God's Son? That's really what's happening here. 
at the end of verse 2 into all of verse 3. What does it mean that he's his son? Well, if, it, if, God, if Jesus is God's son, and we do believe that, then his message to us should really matter. Much like as that person who reported directly to the CEO's message matters much more deeply, if Jesus is God's son, then his message should matter to us. I just taught in the first and second grade classroom um, about a month ago with Sarah, and Sarah and I asked the question to the first and second graders, hey, what would, it was about the Sermon on the Mount, and we were like, what would happen if Jesus came in to teach your class today? What would happen if the door opened and then there he is, Jesus, to teach your class? And they, they rightly knew, yeah, we would pay more attention than to you. Uh, <laughs> Which is astute, right? That's a good observation. I think the same could be said for this. What if, what if Jesus was really speaking to us? What if, what if he has spoken and we have his words in scripture? Shouldn't we be listening? What does it mean for him to be God's son? Well, what's going to happen is if we, you know, right after that comma in his son, we have seven ways in which Jesus' greatness is being unfolded before us. So there are seven amazing things about what does it mean for Jesus to be God's son? And we're going to kind of go through those uh, one at a time. So where it says, next, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. You're, You're able to follow that quote, right? Go back to the Old Testament. You know where this quote's from? No, no, me neither. <laughs> what does this mean for, for him to be the heir of all things? Well, this is a, if you're, if you're a Hebrew and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Let me, let me bust that out. I remember it's, it's from Psalm 2. It's from Psalm 2, right? I don't know if anybody's Bible has a, like a little footnote at the end of this phrase, that he's the heir of all things. If you're a Hebrew, you would know, oh, this is Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. Let's, let's see, what does this mean for Jesus to be the heir of all things? Here's from Psalm 2. It says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, quote, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So when it says he's the heir of all things, this is what it's talking about. That the heir of all things means that Jesus is God's son. He's spoken about in the Old Testament. And the ends of the earth are going to be his possession. That the nations are his heritage. So there's so much to unlock as we go through these scriptures. I want, us to, I want to encourage us to maybe go back to the Old Testament and look at some of these scriptures as we go. It's a, kind of a homework. But that's, that's the work that we put in when we actually try to interpret these verses and understand what they mean. So when we think about the heir of all things, this is kind of tough for us. I think in... Uh, in America, we're rugged individualists, and so like heritage and heirs and generational wealth and stuff is not something that we you know, maybe think about all the time, but think about the ancient context here. What would it have meant for you to be the heir of something? This has great weight. And not only is Jesus the heir of all things, he is, as the next one proclaims, the next piece, through whom also he created the world. So he's the heir of all things. And he's through whom he, as God the Father, created the world. Through whom he created the world. Now, this is an area where I think a lot of us have hang-ups. Like, what does this mean for creation? And how does that work? And that's a great sermon for a different time. But I want us to consider, what what does this mean that he created the world? Through whom? Now, the world here, at least if you're you're like me, you grew up with a... uh, 
an encyclopedia like on, on library bookshelves called World Book. And I think of world, and it had like the globe on it, right? So I think of, oh, it's like putting together a Play-Doh ball kind of like creation of the world. And that's fine. That's fair. And I think that's part of this. But the, the Greek word can get translated here for world as the ages as well. Created time. Created time. This means that he was there from the beginning. That through whom... So Jesus is through whom God created the world. This means Jesus was there from the beginning. And it, this, is, this is not a completely foreign idea. This is also spelled out in John 1, verses 1 through 2, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very confusing, all these arrows pointing back to each other. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus was there at the beginning. He was actually there before the beginning. This is why God's name is I am. The, word I, the, the name Yahweh or I am is true no matter when it's spoken. It's true outside of time. And I actually want to pause and maybe do like a, just a brief tangent. Um, there's a common objection. If I'm, if I'm an atheist, I'm a, a common objection we have here is um, that, that Christians who believe in a God who created everything that you've just created a second problem for yourself. Well, where did God come from? Where did God come from? As if we're supposed to stand stunned. And honestly, I, that's a good, a good question. But the answer is, he's God. <laughs> that's by definition who he is. That's by definition who he is, is he is outside of time. He was not created. So the answer is, yeah. He wasn't created. That's what you need to understand here. You could also say, well, where does nothing come from? And that's, like, we, could, we could talk a little bit more about apologetics later on if you want to ask me. I'd love to chat with you if you have atheist friends who want to chat about these things. So not only is Jesus the one through whom the world was created, but he's also, this also claims his divinity. Next up it says that he is, the next unfolding is he is the radiance of the glory of God. Which is a little bit of sun, S-U-N, imagery, sun imagery here. When you look at the sun, maybe not a good idea, but when you look at the sun, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the sun or are you looking at its radiance? And I don't really understand the sun that well, so perhaps you can educate me later on. But I, I, when we're looking at the sun, we are looking at its brightness. We're looking at its radiance, but where does the sun stop and the radiance start? There's a little bit of ambiguity there, but what this point is making here is that Jesus is how we see God the Father. Christ is how we see the very essence of the Father without blinding ourselves. We've never, really, we've never seen the sun, perhaps. You could say this. We've never seen the sun, but we've seen its radiance. And this goes in tandem. This, his, this is a claim to his divinity with the next, the next claim. That he is the radiance of his glory, and he is the exact imprint of his nature, the exact imprint of his nature. It's about every sermon I've listened to of, of these, uh, these scriptures talks about how the word here is the Greek word character, the imprint of his nature, which is the, how we get character. He's the character of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And then some of the sermons go further and say, there's actually a, a, a word, character, would have meant something specific. It would have meant uh, something that tangible that you could touch, and it was a seal, like on an envelope. Right, so here's this is from like the bridal wedding website. I don't, I didn't, I didn't, 
I didn't have any scrolls with wax seals handy, but he's the imprint. He's the exact imprint of his nature. So he is the character, the little wax seal with the image imprinted on it. It's how we see God the Father. Think about the radiance of his glory. He's the imprint of his nature. And I want to pause and think, what is the claim being made here? Let's think about the claim being made that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Let's go back to the three-word sermon. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He is God's son. Right? This is, this is saying that of, of essence, Jesus is God. His, he is divine. I think we forget this reality. And we're not the only people that forget this. There's actually a story in scripture. I'd like for us, this was super encouraging for me this week. Because I forget, I forget that, you know, we come here to worship the creator of the universe. We come here to worship Jesus, who in essence is God, the imprint of his nature. He had an apostle, Philip. And Philip said to him, let me go to that. Uh, There we go. Thank you. Philip said to him, so Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Just show us God. Just show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So if we see Jesus, we see the Father. We encounter him. We encounter him by his, the radiance of, God's, of the Father's glory. We see Jesus as the exact imprint of his nature. And if if this is the reality that we're dealing with here, that Jesus really is God, then that means the whole universe is subject to him. The whole universe is subject to the power of Jesus. And that's, that's the next claim. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Can we get to the slide where that's bold? Thank you. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's a lot that we could say here. There's the upholds and universe and word and power. I like to think of the, the, the word piece first. Let's take his, the word of his power. Christ's words are powerful. We have evidence of, in the gospel of his word casting out demons. He spoke and demons were cast out. He healed. He forgave. He raised someone to life. Calmed the weather. The Bible says that God spoke and creation was made. So God's word is very powerful. So word is an important word in this one. It also says upholds. Look at that. Look at the tense there. Upholds. Verb tense matters. I did not think that ninth grade grammar was going to come back and help me, but it did here. Upholds is present tense. He's upholding the universe by the word of his power to this day. Now, the word universe, what do we mean by universe? What image do you have? I don't know if anybody, if I say the word universe, you might imagine the, uh, like the Hubble telescope image of all the galaxies or maybe the, the, the new one from the James Webb telescope. And that's, that is in, in play here, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. But it's also at a micro level. I think, to, I think at a micro level to some of the scientific mysteries of creation, um, I learned a little bit this week, which is arguably the most dangerous amount to know about a topic. But I, I learned a little bit this week about something called the strong force. All right, so here's the, here's the deal. You're, 
you're uh, composed of atoms, right? You're, you're all made of matter, and you're composed of atoms, these little elements, and they have protons and neutrons and electrons and stuff, right? And I'm, I'm not a scientist. But how are those electrons and protons and neutrons, how are they held together? Because uh, as science would claim, like, they actually want to repel one another. Those things don't want to be next to each other. So how are those atoms held in place? How is it that you and I are not just dissipating into the nothingness right now and the chair you're on doesn't go away into the mist? The answer is the strong force. The strong force. Um, now, how does the strong force work? This is where the videos kind of lost me. <laughs> but there, there's some quantum physics going on with, with quarks. And quarks have colors, and the colors work to, to bind those things together. But ultimately... As I, as I tried to understand this, the question still remains, where does that come from? Like, why? Why? Why do those things work? The claim of the Bible is that there is a creator God, and I think we see him in creation, that holds everything together by the word of his power. That this is all being held together. That's, that's the Christian claim that, that, that we have a God who created it all by the word of his power, and he upholds it to this very day. I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Um, we got the opportunity, Jackie and I got the opportunity to have over, is Natasha here today? Okay, we had Natasha over for, uh, for lunch this past week. And Natasha is a genetic, genetic scientist um, who studies DNA and that sort of stuff for a living. And we had, we had chatted, and uh, something Natasha pointed out that I thought was amazing um, was she still can't get over as a genetic scientist about DNA. If you take, you know, a single strand of DNA and you, you know, within one of your cells and you were to expand it all the way out, it would be over two miles long. And that's wound up so tightly into each one of your cells that you have, you know, billions. I don't know how many cells we have, but we have lots and lots of those wound up into you. How is that that it's all held together in a tiny little dot that you see if you have one of those really powerful microscopes? The Christian claim is that it's Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's holding it together by the word of his power. This was the part that was most amazing to me this week. I, there's seven of these things. I think each one of them might be amazing to you in different ways. If Jesus is God's son, what does that mean? It means that he's the heir of all things. He's through whom God created the world, the radiance of his glory, the imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I think this is amazing. But if I, I believe if I was a Hebrew, I think the next part might have been the most amazing. What it says next is that he made purification for sins. What does purification for sins mean? How are sins purified? Uh, my, my, like, sort of mental image for this is that, you know, there's, like, a laundry, right? We're getting, we're getting washed. We have, uh, have you seen the Dawn soap commercials? And they have, like, the cute little duck getting the oil rubbed off of him. It's all clean, sterile. Purification for sins meant something different. In fact, it was a lot bloodier for purification of sins, right? There would have been, a, the, the way that this would have worked, if you're a Jewish person back then, is you would have brought essentially like a pet lamb to the temple. You put your hands on its head, and the priest slits its throat. And blood's going everywhere. They use some of that blood. They sprinkle it on a bunch of stuff. They rub it on the horns of the altar, and you're witnessing all of this. You're not just witnessing it. You're like close encounter with this purification ritual. 
If that image is striking, think of how Christ died on the cross. His blood was spilled. He was pierced in the side. His hands were pierced through. His blood was spilled. And it says, after making purification for sins. So again, tense matters here. After. This is a past tense thing. In Christ's death on the cross, we have forgiveness and purification of sins. I love the case that's made in the previous revelations that he's the radiance of the glory of God. If Jesus is the fully, if he's the fullness of God, that means that we are allowed to be purified fully. If Jesus is fully God, then we can be purified fully. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that his brutal death, when his blood is spilled, is the purification for sins. And I know as Christians, we've heard this message time and time again. A lot of times, if we're telling the gospel to one another, I think we kind of stop here, we pause here. Um, there's uh, one person I know who, is, who has a peeve of like, we've we got to tell the gospel. Let's not forget to tell what happens after Jesus died. Because what happens next is he doesn't stay dead. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And maybe this feels like kind of a letdown. Oh, like I was hoping he would get up with like a sword or something and do so. I don't know. Like this, he just sits down on a chair. Okay. Well, this is, this is an image that goes back to the Old Testament. And we all know which Old Testament reference this is going back to, right? Maybe some of you do. Um, this is actually going back to Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is a really important chapter in, in the Old Testament. It's a prophecy, a vision Daniel has of uh, this, like the ancient of days, the son of man. Daniel 7 would have loomed large as a, as a chapter. Kind of like for, for us, I think may, maybe if you're a Christian, you've memorized a few verses here and there. You've, you go back to Romans 8. You go to John 3.16 or maybe Genesis 1. Daniel 7 would have been part of that, you know, I think, um, uh, important set of scriptures and prophecies that a Jewish person would have known back then. Here's what it says, um, and I, I can kind of give you some context. The, the context before we read it, is that there was a, the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, was seen among a multiple thrones. So in Daniel's vision, there's the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and then there's thrones, plural, in here. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high? Here's what it says in verse 13 of Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Son of man being like a human being. And yes, this ties back to when, when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And he came, the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when it says here that Jesus is sitting down at the majesty sitting right at the right hand of the majesty on high, he is fulfilling the Old Testament. He's fulfilling this scripture, and he is coming before the ancient of days. And that means us, friends. We are the peoples, the nations, and languages that should be serving him. His dominion is not passing away. His kingdom's not being destroyed. This is the claim. So when we look at these seven great things about Jesus, we see that he is, if we go back to, go back to the verses here, we see that he is the heir. We see that he is through whom 
God created the world. He's the radiance of his glory, the imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He made purification for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's what it means for him to be God's son. That's what it means when we say, when Christians, when we say Jesus is Lord, that's what it should mean. And then there's verse 4. Just gets a little weird. Okay, so all that all that's to be said, and then what happens is the author of Hebrews kind of announces this, this verse 4 is built on the case that we've made so far of Jesus, who he is. It says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So this is kind of the announcement of what the rest of the chapter is going to be about. And I don't want to disappoint you too much, but today is not going to be the angels sermon. That's actually something that you can look forward to in the next few weeks. So what does this mean, that he is superior to angels? Um, well, a couple things just to know. Angels are not um, fat babies with wings in the scriptures. Angels are a lot more powerful than that. And I actually just want to point us back to 2 Samuel 24. In 2 Samuel 24, uh, we just read that. It was in the Life of David series. And there was the, this, the story of an angel producing a widespread illness. Angels would have had power. Angels would have had significant power to intervene in our world. So what's the message? The message is Jesus is Lord. He's greater. He's better than even the angels. And as James Davenport laid out last week, he's better than the temple. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the priests. We're going to see in so many ways how is Jesus better than those things. That's the theme of our whole, of our whole series. So what does it mean when Jesus is Lord? We should be able to point back to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And then probably some of you are wondering, so what? What does this mean for me today? You know, I got to go home after this. So great, Jesus is Lord. I got to go to work tomorrow. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us as we leave this place? Well, I think we have to ask, are we listening? Are we listening to the Lord? If this is who he is, are we listening? So the first application I have for us today, and I, I included some verses up here that I think are really helpful. The first application point I have for you is just to listen, to listen to God's son. And I don't mean just hear. Any parents know this. You can, your kids can hear you, but do they listen? Listen to God's son. In Luke 9.35, this is the, the scripture about the transfiguration Jesus is lifted up, and a voice came out of a cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is in scriptures. We need to be listening to Jesus. Now, there's, open up your, your Bible, right? Like, what does it mean to listen to him? What did he say? I've just put one set of verses up here, John 15. But look through your, look through your scriptures. Read what Jesus said. Here's, what he, here's one of the verses, uh, one of the scriptures that we can read here. John 15, starting at verse 4, says, abide in me. Here's what Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus is saying, abide in him. You need to be listening to God's son, abiding in him. What does that mean? It means be connected to him like a like a vine, like to a, a branch to a vine. In fact, that's why our church is named the vine. Verse 5 of John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me. So this is the part I think we need to listen to as well. If you do not abide in him, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is telling you to abide in him, to be connected to him. So I need you to hear, I need you to listen that this is this man, Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago and died a death on a cross. We believe he was resurrected. And the reason why this happened is because God, he so loves us that he would send his son for us as an exchange. He made purification for our sins and was raised from the dead to sit on on the right hand of God, the majesty on high, so that we could have life with him eternal. This is the gospel message. You need to hear that and listen today. Think of who's speaking to you when it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Like I I said, I think listening is different than hearing, right? So are we just hearing this message or are we listening and actually acting it out? If Jackie tells me to take out the garbage and I hear her, I go, sure. This happens time and time again. (laughs) Am I listening if I'm not acting on it, right? This looks like something. We accept, we, we hear the gospel message. This is first, this is primary. We hear this, we know who Jesus is. We believe in him. We believe that he resurrected and he promises newness of life. And he has spoken. So we should be living like we listen. We should be living like we listen. Um, I think we should ask the question of ourselves, is Jesus just our life coach? Are we listening, but he's just our life coach? Good advice, good advice. He's just our counselor or our consultant. Or... Or is it, as scriptures are pointing out to us in Hebrews, is he your savior? Is he the one who made purification for your sins? I think these these are good questions to ask. And so I have a a few different scriptures that I think point to some questions we should be asking ourselves. Are we listening by encountering him in the word? I think a lot of us want Jesus and God to speak to us so we can audibly hear him. And I do believe there are ways and times that works. But I also believe that we have what Jesus said here. We have the fulfillment of scriptures in our Bibles. We should be encountering him. In Luke 24, verses 26 through 27, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, and he says to these, uh, these followers, he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus sees the importance of himself in the scriptures. Should we be listening to him? Make, make a plan. I think this should get practical here. Let's get practical. Do you have a, a, a plan to read scriptures? I know a lot of you, you do, and you're living faithfully through that. I think some of us, we're not. We are going through a dry spell. Well, this, this is Jesus speaking to us. He's in the scriptures. For myself, I'll just tell you, and you can ask me. I'm going to be trying to read through the Gospels by the end of the year. That's my goal, or maybe at least one of them. You can ask me how it's going. I'm going to try to read through a gospel by the end of the year. I don't know what your goal would be. If you need ideas, chat with your city group. Chat with me up here if you'd like after service. Let's be listening in our, in our Bibles. I also think we need to ask, are we living like we listen? By looking at our bank accounts, right? Let's look at how are we generous. How are we generous? Matthew 10.8, Jesus talking to his apostles as he's sending them out. He says, you received without paying, give without pay. And yeah, I think this probably means like giving to the church and there's a different sermon for that. But are we being generous? Are we generous to other people around us? I can say I'm not always that way. 
So I need to make a plan. I need to make a plan to increase the way I, uh, uh, that I am being generous. Honestly, the, the, the generosity thing for us with, with money is, is, is oftentimes not the struggle, though. I think the struggle really comes to our schedules, the holy calendar. Are we being generous there? Are we listening to Jesus? Do our schedules reflect that? Um, the, the, really, the tough scripture for me this, this past week was Jesus called to a disciple, follow me. There's a story in Luke 9, 59 through 60. He calls to a disciple. He says, follow me. And the man says, I have to bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Meaning like in this time and season, Jesus might be calling you to follow him. And you might be in a different season and not ready to follow him in, a, in some sort of manner. I don't know where this scripture speaks to you. But for me, it's permitting people into my holy routines. I like to have two or three or four or five nights a week that are just completely quiet at home for myself, for me. But I need to be generous a little bit more with my time. So you can ask me again. You can ask me again. I need to be inviting people over for dinner. Jackie's an amazing cook, so I should be sharing that generosity with others. There are lots of ways we can ask, are are we listening to God? I mean, lastly here, like Matthew 10, 39, are we... I guess John 8.47, let me, let me not skip through that. John 8.47, um, are we actually listening or are we just distracting ourselves with distractions? Like our screen time, I think ask very critically, like, does your screen time reflect that you listen to the Lord of Lords? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Are we not hearing? Are we not hearing because we're distracting ourselves with things that are just straight garbage? Or even worse, defiling us. Where can you rid yourself of some of that? Now, all of this is to say that none of this is going to be easy, right? Like listening to, uh, listening to Jesus and listening to him as God's son, living like we listen to God's son. It doesn't mean like prosperity for all of us. And th- that's not the point. Matthew 10.39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus commands us. We are going to be losing our lives. This does look like sacrifice as we seek to live like we listen. So let's listen to these words. The God who revealed himself to us through Christ is is speaking, and he has spoken through his scriptures. Let's take that seriously. When we say Jesus is Lord, we know what that means, and we live like that's true. Let's pray. Father, you sent Jesus. You sent us your son. The truth of the gospel message is this, that we we need a savior. We sinned, we need a savior, and you gave us a beautiful savior. You sent Jesus 2,000 years ago. He died a death. He was raised to new life. And he promises to come again. Lord, we Thank you that your kingdom will have no end. We thank you for your scriptures and for who you are. Lord, may these ways in which you've revealed that you are God's son through, through Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, would, would these speak to us, would these jump out to us this week as we encounter you, as we encounter others? Lord, we admit that we don't always listen. So Lord, I ask that you would speak to us as individuals and as a church and that we would be, as a church, glorifying to who you are in all that we do. Jesus, may we 
really and truly believe that you are the exact imprint. You're the character of God. You radiate his glory. Lord, thank you for sending us your son, in whose name we gather and pray. Amen. I'm going to seek to see if there's any questions I can respond to. Yes. (laughs) There are none. Um, A question came to mind this week. I'll ask a question. (laughs) A question came to mind this week about, uh, like, how does this work? You know, I've had to answer this. I don't know if any other parents have had to answer this. Uh, You get stumped. I think my kids have asked this, like, on Sunday after service. Like, how is it that Jesus is God's son? Like, how is that possible? How is it possible in this, like, whole Trinity thing? God can be three in one. Um. That's a really good question, and I think one that we should wrestle with. But it's, it's what the Bible says is that God is three in one. And there's no, the word Trinity is not written and print, printed, and you can't like go to, let's go to Ephesians 6 now and see where it says Trinity. Um, we encounter God as multifaceted multiple times throughout the scriptures, whether it be in Genesis, whether it be in Luke 10, 18. There's lots of, lots of ways in which we can encounter Jesus is triune. Um, in fact, the elders are actually studying this, um, this very doctrine over the next few weeks. Uh, but we believe that uh, the, the Trinity, or that God is, multi- multiple persons in one. And we believe that, that here's the thing that, that took me, uh, like kind of lifted me up out of my deadness in, in terms of encountering the Trinity. When we actually believe that God is relational in this way, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit, this means that by his nature, God desires a personal relationship. He is by his nature relational, and he desires you. This is what makes Christianity different from other religions, is that God is not simply far off. He came to us here. And so when we believe in the Trinity, we, uh, we are believe that we have a God who is interpersonal by his nature. So that's a question that came up for me this week. I don't know if anybody else is sitting here wondering, like, hmm, how does that work? How can God be three in one? We don't exactly know. We don't exactly know, but we, we believe in the scriptures, and it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We are finite creatures seeking to interact with the infinite. So if you have questions, send them in through, you can Slack message me or you know, hunt me down after service, and we can, we can chat.